So our scripture reading today, as I prayed, is from a pretty familiar passage to some of you, especially if you grew up going to Sunday school. Uh, But it is uh, Luke chapter 10. It's toward the end of that chapter, beginning in verse 38. And if you're using the Black Bibles provided for you, you find that on page 1033. Uh, If you look back again a few verses to uh, verse 21 in chapter 10, we see again Jesus praying and he's rejoicing the 72 Uh, disciples that he sent out with the hope of the gospel have returned, and Jesus prays and thanks God for them and for the work that they're doing. And again, just uh, to sort of tie this to where what's going on previously, Jesus thanks God. He says, I thank you, Lord and Father of heaven, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And last week we saw an example of one of these so-called wise and understanding, uh, this lawyer who comes to Jesus not with genuine curiosity, not with a genuine desire to know Jesus, but it tells us twice in the passage that he came to Jesus to test him and to justify himself. And so Jesus isn't saying that the actual wise and understanding uh, don't get to understand these things, but those who in their own minds and in their own eyes are wise and understanding, uh, who are too proud to humble themselves before Christ. These things are hidden from them, but then revealed to children. And this passage today shows us uh, at least one and maybe even two who come to Jesus with very childlike faith, not perfect faith. I mean, after all, childlike anything is far from perfect. I think anyone who has, you don't even have to have a child. Like, you can have met. Anyone who has met a child knows there's very little that they have perfected. And so, likewise, coming to Jesus with childlike faith never was intended to say, have perfect faith, you know, like kids do. And so, sometimes we... uh, We twist that around a little bit. But here we see two that come to Jesus with with childlike faith and a Savior who loves them both. So let's stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So 
So a lot of times we approach the Bible and passages like this one with sort of Aesop's fables glasses on. So do you remember Aesop's fables? Especially the ones that always have two animals. So Aesop's fables, there's always animals. And they're always talking. So it's, Aesop is like the original Walt Disney. And so uh, when there's two animals, though, so there's like a, a tortoise and a hare, which as a kid, I never understood why they weren't just a turtle and a rabbit, but whatever. Uh, a tortoise and a hare, a fox and a crow, an ant and a grasshopper. And even as children, you knew the point. There was always, like one of these animals was a good animal, and one of these animals was a bad animal. And the point of the story, be like the good animal, don't be like the bad animal. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, we, we often approach Scripture that way. We think, okay, so, and this passage is pretty clear. I mean, there's a, there's a good girl, and apparently there's a bad girl. And obviously, Mary's the good girl because she gets commended, which means, I mean, just by, you know, just by elimination, Martha is the bad girl. And so, the reason this story is told to us is because you need to be like Mary. Don't be like Martha. Let's pray. Is, is that what's going on here? I mean, certainly Jesus commends Martha, or Mary, excuse me. He commends Mary. He commends her choice, says it's not going to be taken away from her. But you notice he doesn't correct Martha's service. He corrects Martha's heart. The language that Luke uses to describe the situation and even the language that Jesus uses to describe what's going on are, are insightful for us. In verse 40, Luke says, Martha was distracted with much service. And in verse 41, Jesus says, you are, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So it seems like what is going on here is very typical even 2,000 years later. Uh, Martha, like you and I, she forgot that when we lose focus on Jesus, even serving him can distract us from him. So when we lose our focus on Jesus, even the very act of serving Christ can actually distract us from Christ. Luke is very intentional with this particular account. See, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, this is the Mary and Martha whose brother is Lazarus, they live in Bethany, which is a short walk from Jerusalem. We know this because in the last week of Jesus' life leading up to his arrest, he'll spend that week walking to Jerusalem, spending time in the temple, spending time teaching and talking to people. And every night he walks back to Bethany with his disciples and they stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. 
And so Luke has taken this geographically. This is really close to Jerusalem, but chronologically, we've just begun the journey to Jerusalem. We've just begun. It just, just in chapter 9, it says, at this moment, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And so, so Luke has taken something chrono, or chronologically out of order and put it in here on purpose. And so it flows out of, at least in Luke's mind, we need to get this understanding coming out of Jesus is sending the 72 out, empowering them and giving them uh, gifts of service and care and healing and praying for what God has given to them. And then uh, on the heels of the, the lawyer and his wise understanding ways, we have this picture of very simple faith of just the desire not to come to Jesus to test him, but just to come to Jesus to be near him. And so we see this picture here. So what happened? We may as well talk a little bit about what happened to Martha, though. It seems to be part of the account, doesn't it? Have you ever seen one of those uh, action movies, or sometimes it's a comedy movie? Uh, so a guy, one of the guys is either on a, like a rickety rope bridge across some thousand foot chasm or or climbing the edge of a cliff going up the stairs to to Mordor or whatever or or just you know standing on the very edge of a building and and like there's always a partner who gives that awesome advice whatever you do don't look down and then inevitably that person looks down and and what happens like they they're overwhelmed. Like they were doing fine when all they were doing was the activity. But once they started focusing on their surroundings, their circumstances, suddenly the activity seemed much more difficult. Like have you ever noticed that, you know, when you're like on the, we don't have any parking lots. We should put some parking lot stripes. This would be a much better illustration. In parking lots that have stripes, like do you notice how easy it is to, like, walk a straight line on a parking lot stripe? Have you ever thought, like, like but then do you remember in, in elementary school and middle school when you had to do the balance beam that's only, like, 30 inches off the ground? Suddenly, it's practically impossible to walk a straight line because it's the same straight line, though. It's just your sense of what is happening is different. There's a lot more at stake now. And then move it up 50 feet or 100 feet. And, and now, like, you can't, I mean, you can barely get one foot off the edge of the building. Martha is a servant. I mean, she has a heart for serving others. She loves Jesus genuinely and she wants to show hospitality to him. Martha is a doer. She has lists. She checks those lists off. She knows she's serving Jesus when she gets to the end of her day, and every box on her list has a check mark, or at least 80% of the boxes have a check mark. Here comes Jesus to her home. He's an honored guest. She wants to honor him as a guest. So she's pulling out all the stops. This isn't paper plates and paper towels. 
I mean, she's pulling out the good china, even though they're going to have to hand wash it. And I know they hand wash everything. It's all right. They're, they're using the, the cloth napkins. In fact, she found the little rings for the cloth napkins. Or, or wait, maybe, maybe swans. I mean, the rings are nice, but the folded napkin on the plate. Okay, I got to think through which of these am I going to do? So, but she's, she's using her gifts, her strengths. Like, this is right up her alley to just show Jesus her love in this way. And so how is it that Martha's ministry actually kept her from Jesus? The very opposite of why she even started. Well, she looked down. She started taking in her circumstances, her surroundings. Tell me if this sounds a little familiar to you. You love Jesus, and you want others to love Jesus too. And the most natural way to do that is to get involved at church and, and get involved in one of the ministries at church to help other people love Jesus. I mean, maybe you're going to be the leader of that ministry. Maybe you're just going to be one of the helpers of that ministry. But you get involved because you love Jesus, and that's what you want. You want people to love Jesus. But pretty soon, there's distractions. You know, maybe, you know, maybe if you're not the leader, maybe it's not as organized as you thought it was going to be. And, you know, there's answers that aren't being offered. Or maybe you are the leader. And whether you're the leader or not the leader, like the people whom you're ministering to, they don't seem as grateful as you thought they would be. I mean, you are working really hard for them and they don't seem to notice. And so, or maybe the people that work with you aren't, turns out, the cleverest people you've ever worked with. And uh, they're not doing things the way that you thought they were going to do them. Or maybe you're one of the teachers. And what started as like a week of, of just evenings in the Scripture where you just love what you're picking up and you can't wait to, to share it, now it has moved from that to at midnight on Saturday night. You roll your eyes and jump out of bed and remember, oh, i got to prepare for Sunday school again. And so suddenly uh, you're not feeding on God's words so that you can uh, share it, but you're simply working in order to uh, dole it out and uh, it's been weeks, perhaps, since you've prayed for God's blessing on the ministry, even though you know for a fact <laughs> that nothing's going to go well without God's blessing. And how is it that this has happened? And distractions pretty quickly turn into self-pity. Martha is overwhelmed. There's so much still to do. Why isn't anyone helping? I mean, you can see, I mean, we all know how this went down. Like the steps that start first, maybe a little louder in the kitchen. Maybe just some rattling of pans. Make sure that people can hear what's going on in here. Maybe a huff, a heavy breathing at the door. <sighs> or a nice, slightly louder, very passive-aggressive well, I guess this bread's not going to slice itself. I guess I'll do it. 
you know, we start, we start feeling self-pity. That self-pity, it's, it, it, it may be a sign that I've stopped serving Jesus and others, and I've started using these things to serve myself. Why aren't people noticing? Why don't people see how hard I'm working? We look for praise and for recognition, and then we deflect because, well, we look for the opportunity to, to deflect because when we receive the praise, we know enough to say, oh, oh really, no, it's, it's, it's a joy. It's a joy. I love serving you. And then comes resentment because Martha's realizing this isn't her fault. I mean, this would have all gone fine if Mary wasn't so selfish. And we have enough Marthas in the church that I almost skipped this passage. So I was like, this is going to be an awkward passage to preach because we have a lot of doers in our church. How do you not? I mean, we're outside of the Quantico Marine Base. Like, it's been drilled into some of you that, like, you know, you do or you die. And so, but... What happens when someone else isn't pulling their weight or isn't helping? Martha would say, I'm not distracted with much serving. I'm not anxious and troubled about many things, as Jesus might say. No, there's someone else who could help. And if you could help, you should help, right? Interesting that Martha also shows just how human she is in that she has a problem with someone, doesn't she? Does she go to that person? No, she does not. It's so much easier to talk about someone you have a problem with than to someone you have a problem with, even when you spiritualize it and pray for them. Lord, would you fix Mary's heart, please? Just make her more, just more like me, you, you, like you. I love that she goes to Jesus in front of Mary. That's always pleasant. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me here to serve alone. Tell her to help me. Now, you need to not hear what Jesus is not saying. It seems like that would be easy. Don't hear what Jesus isn't saying, but we do often hear things Jesus doesn't say. It's ironic. I said, don't hear what Jesus, and then like the noise starts up. I just thought that was funny. So anyway, he's not saying, oh, Martha, you should not be serving. He said, Martha, you're anxious and troubled by many things, but one thing is necessary. Martha began with a focus on the one thing that's necessary, but she was distracted by much serving and became anxious and troubled. She looked at her surroundings. She looked at her circumstances. She looked down. And Jesus says, no, Martha, look up. Look up. Don't worry about your circumstances. Remember why you started this. There's only one thing that's necessary, Jesus, his love for you. 
So is this one of those sermons that the answer is then, so pray more. Read your Bible more. Martha would have been fine if she'd had a more deliberate and intentional quiet time at the beginning of the day. Set her mind right. No. Well, I mean, maybe. But no. No, because the, the next two points sort of go together, but they would have been too long to put on the screen if we put them together. So two points. Uh, Martha-ing some Mary into your life or hiding behind Mary. What do I mean by Martha-ing some Mary into your life? In a, a book I just downloaded, the Between Walden and the Whirlwind by Jean Fleming, uh, she opens her book this way. Tell me if this sounds familiar at all. In the 20-some years I've been a Christian, I've received instruction on, on and been challenged to read my Bible daily, pray without ceasing, do in-depth Bible study regularly, memorize Scripture, meditate day and night, fellowship with other believers, always be ready to give an answer to the questioning unbeliever, give to missions and to the poor, work as unto the Lord, use my time judiciously, give thanks in all circumstances, serve the body using my gifts to edify others, keep a clean house as a testimony, practice gracious hospitality, submit to my husband, love and train my children, disciple other women, manage finances as a good steward, involve myself in school and community activities, develop and maintain non-Christian friendships, stimulate my mind with careful reading, improve my health through diet and exercise, color coordinate my wardrobe, watch my posture, and simplify my life by baking my own bread. <clears throat> Obviously, other than those last three, although those last three show up also, it is a I mean, I'm not like trying to pick on a particular group in here, but I will say that being a mom is one of the hardest jobs out there as a Christian because it is practically one of the most graceless jobs out there. Moms in particular are very good at making each other feel like you're not doing it right, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough things outside the home, inside the home. Everything you focus on was a thing you shouldn't have focused on, and now you've screwed it all up, and look at your kids. They're going to run away from Jesus forever. Let's pray. That's awful. What an awful thing we do. We don't just, you can't just Martha some Mary into your life. You can't just decide, oh, well, this is well, obviously I need to do all these things and spend more time with Jesus. <clears throat> these are, this list should have sounded pretty familiar to you at the beginning because it's almost all from Scripture, isn't it? Like these are things that genuinely are benefits to us. These are things that we call spiritual disciplines. And then you add to these the means of grace, prayer, the Word, worship on Sunday mornings, the sacraments. These are means of grace. But spiritual disciplines and means of grace are not things that you do to make God love you. They are things that you do to hear God say, I love you. Like fill in the blank. You, I don't 
pray in order to make God love me. I don't read my Bible in order to make God love me. I don't, I don't come to, the, to worship to make God love me. I do these things to hear God say, I love you. Jesus didn't look at Martha's to-do list and add three more things to it that just sounded more spiritual. In essence, Jesus took her to-do list, and in the moment, he just lovingly, graciously crumpled it up and set it aside. He didn't throw it at her forehead. He just put it aside, and he said, Martha, Martha, you forgot I love you. I love you anyways and always. These are wonderful things that you're doing, but these aren't wonderful reasons you're doing them. But then on the other side, uh, the answer isn't let go and let God. Uh, it's, the answer isn't, well, I just need, I need a better drink with a better umbrella and a better hammock. And, and I'll just rest in the Lord. I just need to rest in the Lord. That's all we need. Which is certainly true, but I don't think, like sometimes we, we make it sound like the church is full of Marys and Marthas. I don't think it's as simple as that. I think the church is full of some of the, you know, the, um, the faithful Marthas that started out and the forgetful Marthas where she ended up. And the church has some Marys, certainly, but then the church has probably more than Marys, probably has, let's hide behind Marys. Let's, um, you know, I, I really need to spend more time with my family. I can't really get involved in that because uh, it's just, you know, I need more. There's so many ways that we spiritualize not helping and we try to make it sound like we're being more merry-like when maybe we're just being lazy. There's a difference between resting in the Lord and avoiding work. I mean, it's one thing to be so enraptured in God's presence that you spend more and more time in God's Word. It's another thing when you lose track of time on your phone or some other device uh, and then don't have time to help with other things. Sometimes some of us with, I don't know, let's say less propensity to make lists or if we did make them, to follow them. Sometimes we claim some kind of spiritual moral high ground when the truth is we just don't want to do. If I had a list, it would remind me of the things I'm not doing. And so we just don't make a list. And so maybe we're not distracted with much serving Maybe we're just distracted with much distractions. And so the answer to both false Marys and false Marthas is the same. Listen, one thing is necessary. I won't bore you with using the same old, same old uh, city slickers, you know, one thing. Go home and fill that illustration in again. 
because we use that a lot because, you know, he did. He said, there's one thing. You need one thing, old 1992, 1989. I don't know, that old movie, one thing. Anyway, when you are anxious and worried about unknowns and foggy futures and difficult trials, Jesus says, remember one thing. Remember, God is the God of promises. Remember that God said, I will provide. I will always provide for you. That God says, I will never leave you. God says, I have overcome this world. I have loved you with an everlasting love. The church is always going to have tasks to do. I also didn't want to preach this passage a month before the fall festival. Like, I don't want to tell you, hey, you just need to rest more when we have a list of blank spaces where we need you to sign up more. You do need to rest more. So rest on Sunday after a good day of hard work at the fall festival on Saturday. There are lists to keep and ministries to lead and people to train. We need to serve each other and serve our community well. But we can't do it and forget the why. That God loves us and would love us if we never did it and will love us if we do it poorly and will love us if we do it well. But we get the opportunity to love others and share that love with them. If we're not careful, we can be so distracted by our service to Jesus that we forget to see Jesus and forget to even offer Jesus to each other. Now, I do want to share something with you to encourage you at Hope of Christ, and even you who are new to Hope of Christ, to encourage you uh, about Hope of Christ. Because uh, the last Monday, uh, a bunch of men got together, and we had an opportunity to uh, just kind of hear from one of the guys about how their family got involved at Hope of Christ. And I, I reached out to him this week and asked if I could share specifically what he said with you all. He said, uh, so this is how they came to Hope of Christ. He said, when we lived in Camp Lejeune, we went to Harvest PCA, Harvest Presbyterian Church. There we got to know our close neighbors They sat behind us in church and ironically lived behind us on base. I believe they were natives of Fredericksburg, and we invited them to our going-away cookout. I was asking the wife if she had any recommendations on churches, and she told me there are two good churches in the area. One is is bigger, with more programs, and the other is Hope of Christ in Stafford. It is smaller but you will be loved on there. He said, we visited Hope of Christ and have not left. Her recommendation was accurate. I know that we wish we had more things to do, but if we wanted a reputation that went beyond even Stafford County, could we have asked for a better reputation than you will be loved well at Hope of Christ? That's amazing. 
And you all need to receive that as great commendation to you for loving well people that come to hope of Christ. For not losing sight of the one thing. And the last thing I want to bring out, I love how gently, how lovingly, how, how intimately Jesus calls Martha out of her circumstances. He calls her to look up from her navel and see her Savior again. When he says to her, Martha, Martha, this double use of her name, this, like, it's one thing to say to someone, Jacob, I mean, if your name's Jacob, it'd be weird if I said it to you and your name wasn't Jacob. It's another thing to say, Jacob, Jacob. Like, you, like there's a, an intensity. There's an intentionality. There's something going on. There is an intentional pursuing of Martha, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and worried about so much there's only one thing that's necessary. It's not your service to me. It's my service to you. And this isn't the only time Jesus does this. In, in Luke 22, it's the night Jesus is going to be betrayed and arrested. And as he's talking about it all, he looks at his friend, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. Here's Martha. She lost sight. She lost focus. She forgot the one thing, and Jesus just kindly calls her back. Here's Simon. You are about to blunder in such a way that you will wonder if you ever even loved me. And how is it even possible that I could love you? I've prayed for you, Simon, Simon. And if that's not enough, in Acts 9, this man so certain that he's doing God's will, and Jesus calls to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Even in Matthew 23, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you in my arms, but you wouldn't have it. As if it wouldn't be so awkward, I would look each of you in the eye and tell you, Jesus when you think you've completely screwed it up, when you think that you have completely walked away from Christ, Jesus pursues you that intentionally and calls you back to himself. Karen, Karen. He calls to each of us, 
Aria, Aria. Like he calls each one of us. I'm like, like, I know like each of you right now, write your name down on your paper. Write it down twice and put quotes around it and put the tagline of the quote, Jesus. Jesus calls you out of your single focusedness. He calls you from gazing at your navel, from seeing all that's going around wrong in your circumstances and says, look, there was only one thing you needed. There's only one thing. It's me. It's me. I would love to call each of you by name. Some of you, like, there's some of you, like, I wrote down in my notes, like, don't call this person by name because it really is true. They need to hear it right now. So just write it down because you need to hear it. You need to know Jesus is calling you by name twice. He doesn't give up. He constantly pursues, and he points you back to himself. You just need one thing. It's just one thing. It's me. It's not your service to me. It's my service to you. Simon, it's not your commitment. Even if everyone else falls away, I'll never fall away. It's not your commitment, Simon. It's my commitment. I will die to save you. Saul, it's not your zeal for me. It's my zeal for you. It's just one thing. Me. I am all you need. One thing I've asked that I will seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all my days. Let's pray. Jesus, you've called each of us. You've given yourself to each of us. You are the one thing. Grant to us that we would hear you reminding us, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I have built you up again. I love you anyways and always. Let us hear you by your spirit indwelling us, calling us by name reminding us it was never about our work for you, always your work for us. And grant that out of that assurance, we would work out of thanksgiving and love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.